Sunday evening, coming right from Burlington, Vermont, you're in Amit's house on WBKM.org. Well, good evening, once again, one and all, right here to a Sunday night on WBKM, Burlington's kind of music. Uh, my name is Tony. The least important thing you'll hear tonight. Because this is Amit's house. This is where we come in reverence, joy, glee, dancing, sadness. All of those great human emotions that make us live. This is where we come to celebrate the life of the founder of Atlantic Records. And the literally hundreds of people that worked during that time with Amit, bringing us revolutionary music. Tonight, we're going to look back to a show that uh, I was fortunate to do in the uh, month of February 2015. It's a great interview, and I don't want to lose these interviews. You know, I think they're really important to keep in front of us, especially one like this. We're going to get to talk to a family member, a sister of arguably the greatest guitarist ever. We get to talk to Janie Hendricks. Rebroadcasting this uh, show uh, from that time, the, the body of it anyway. But nonetheless, an amazing time, an amazing woman who has worked so hard to keep the legacy of Jimmy alive all these years. A beautiful thing, legacy. That's what this is about. We always say it's because we owe it to someone. And Janie feels that she owes it to her brother who got to be with us for such a short time. So we're going to open up with some dire straits. What's that got to do with the Amit house? <laughs> it's got to do with the great mind and ear of the one and only Jerry Wexler. Take your shoes off, take your hat off. This is an important place. This is a special place. This, this my friends, this is Amit's house. No way of knowing 
Jimi Hendrix. Join us, will you now? And let's listen on into uh, this first part. And then, uh, of course, some great music from Jimi, captured live at Woodstock, 1969. This is Amit's house. It's it's kind of music. WBKM. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have uh, an amazing and uh, distinct honor uh, to say yes with uh, yet another member of, uh, of the rock and royal, roll royal family. In terms of uh, the fiery display of passion and beauty and talent, the name Jimi Hendrix is always at the top of anybody's list, the tip of anybody's tongue. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of being able to speak to Jimmy's little sister, Janie. Hey, Janie, welcome to WBKM. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So, you know, what I, I mentioned to you in an email is that, you know, folks know a lot about the discography, and it's a beautiful discography, and it's a discography that your family uh, and yourself have really worked hard, I think, to, uh, to keep in front of people all of these many years. But what we're really most interested in is to get to know a little bit more about this wonderful human being not just the genius uh, of the guitar and the genius of composition, but to get to know more about this young man uh, who, we, uh, who we all seem to know so well, but yet, you know, we don't really know Jimmy. We don't really know uh, his heart. And, and looking at this beautiful uh, book that you uh, put together of these photographs and his, his written lyrics, um, I, I think we start to understand a little bit more about Jimmy. So. Tell, tell me from your heart, Jamie, uh, about your big brother. Well, I think, you know, first of all, when I, when I close my eyes and I think about Jimmy, I always think about his smile and his laugh. Mm. He had mm. such a great sense of humor, and um, he loved smiling and laughing and joking and telling stories. And um, there's this picture that I actually captured when I was a kid, and um, you can it's kind of been out there, but there's, it's a picture of my dad and Jimmy. My dad has a leopard shirt on, and Jimmy's holding the saxophone, part of it. And it's my dad's saxophone. And they're laughing, and, and they were singing songs, like they're coming up with their own kind of blues song, you know, talking about the girl down the street, and um, just coming up with their own lyrics. But the reason why that, like snapshot is so um, I guess reflective in my mind is because because of that saxophone because of the music store down the street uh, Jimmy ends up with another guitar so my dad first goes to the music store he purchases um, a saxophone and a guitar and they decide that they're going to learn together mm. and Jimmy's guitar gets stolen uh, at a little high school gig that he was doing. He had left it on the stage and he went on break and he comes back and the guitar's gone and he doesn't tell my dad for these couple weeks that he doesn't have his guitar and he actually lies to my dad, which is really tough for him. But he didn't want to tell my dad that I lost it because he knew he'd be mad. He was already sad that he had been irresponsible. So my dad said, well, I'm still making payments on that guitar once he finds out. And so he comes back and he gets him another guitar and he said, well, I took that saxophone back because I think you're going to go further with a guitar than I will with a saxophone. 
And so it was very sweet because in that picture, Jimmy had made it. My dad had gotten around to going back and getting another saxophone, and he had been practicing on it. And so their, you know, their laughter and their joy and their discussions of how all that transpired. And, and that's how Jimmy was. It was very, he's very loyal, very loyal to his friends. Um, you look at Woodstock, for instance, and see Jerry Velez and Larry Lee and Billy Cox um, and, of course, Mitch Mitchell. But it's like it's a history of various people that he made a promise to. Hey, man, when I'm doing this gig, I'm going to bring you on. Um, and that's who he was. That's who he was when he came home. His friends would all come over and, you know, hang out. And he didn't really want to go running too much because he wanted to kind of stick around at home. He hadn't seen everybody have these family forums. And uh, we'd form these, uh, like a circle of chairs in the living room, and everyone would sit. And, of course, we got to talk to Jimmy quite often because he would call probably every week, sometimes a couple times a week. But a lot of the cousins and different people would aunts and uncles, and so they would get to ask him questions, but he'd kind of shyly and um, embarrassingly giggle when he would answer and talk with his hand <laughs> over his mouth because um, he didn't really want to talk about himself. He wanted to talk mm -hmm. about everyone else's life because he felt being on the road, he would miss out on birthdays and weddings and um, special occasions, graduations, whatever. So. He wanted to hear about everyone else's life, and that's who he was, too. Like, he was very interested. He could sit in a room and talk to you, a busy room that was crowded and clattering with other conversations, and he would totally just concentrate on you. You were the most important person in the room. And there's a picture um, when Jimmy first came back when I was six years old, and I'm sitting in a chair, and I call that picture The Promise because he he's a gazing into my face and he says, you know, um, you're never going to have to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of everything. And I said, well, when I grow up, I'm going to take care of you. Mm. And that was the promise that I made at six years old, which I didn't really think at six that he wasn't going to be here anymore as when I got to be an adult. But that mm. promise and his promise to me, we both fulfilled. So beautiful. I, I'm looking at that photograph uh, as you spoke because I was going to ask you about it, and, and so beautifully you, you, you led right into it. Um, it it's uh, captured in this book, folks, called The Ultimate Lyric Book, Jimi Hendrix's Ultimate Lyric Book, compiled by Janie. Uh, it is filled with beautiful things, but that introduction that you wrote is so touching, it's so beautiful, and that moment in time... Um, you seem to remember that pretty clearly. At six years of age, most of us have a pretty well-formed memory and, and can grab it. So you, you remember those days pretty well, it seems. Oh, of course. I mean, like when Jimmy came home, it's like life stopped. Mm -hmm. That's went on. You don't go to school. You don't go to bed. <laughs> you play Monopoly all night long until the sun rose. Um, it, the world revolved around Jimmy when he came home. And so, you know, a lot of times you can spend years and years and years with somebody and not really do anything, not really go hang out with them or, you know, you're doing your own thing in life. But when Jimmy came home, it was a quality of time. 
it wasn't necessarily quantity, but of course, because he was busy and he was working, but when he came home, life stopped. He didn't want to stay in the hotel. He'd gather some of his clothing. He'd come home. He'd stay at home. He would just hang out, sometimes try to get some sleep, but, you know, he was just so excited to be at home, and, of course, Alan was excited to see him, and, you know, just squeeze him and touch him and kiss him and love him and I just remember like sitting we're all sitting in the kitchen and he's talking to my sisters and my cousins and I was playing with his hair and there's a picture of Jimmy um, I was probably about 67 I think 68 that he um Linda Eastman had put color streaks in his hair and so I'm kind of playing with those pieces because they were drier than the rest of his hair because they had kind of bleached it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And he just loved that, like to like get in his hair and play and rub his scalp. And, but he, and he's a person, you know, a loving, wonderful person. And it sounds like from that foundation, uh, it, it sounds to me like um, he would have been, uh, he would have been a great dad. Would you know? Oh yeah. The stress of being away and all that, and, and who knows where it would have gone. You know, over the years, you know, he probably would have calmed that down a little bit. You know, the furor maybe would have. You know, music changes and life changes, and but that that foundation. You know, when someone can be gentle with a child like that, you know, you're in the family or or not, that's a very special. That's a very special ability, um, and to be so able to, um, I guess what I'm hearing is a man that could let go of himself. You know, he wasn't caught up in that persona of this, this mega star. He wasn't caught up in the, in the trick of, oh, you're, you're so magnificent. You're better than everybody. He was able to just be your brother. He was able to just be a family member. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful ability to just put that world aside because uh, that was a crazy world and a crazy day and age, of course. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think you see that too. Like if you watch the Dick Cavett interviews, you know. Yeah, yeah. It pumps him up, and he's like, you know, the greatest guitarist. He's like, uh, in this chair. Like, I don't know what to say. Like he's embarrassed, you know. Like he doesn't, yeah, yeah. doesn't look at himself that way because he's been around so many great mm-hmm. guitars. Although, you know, he was confident in what he could do when he was on stage, mm-hmm. but he's very mm-hmm. painfully shy when he didn't have that guitar that separated him from the audience. Mm, man, the, the, the artwork that is uh, so obviously uh, connected um, to, um, to Jimmy's work and, and the, the, the lyrics, uh, it, this, did this take a long time for folks to discover, uh, you know, for you to discover in the family all of this amazing work and these handwritten lyrics, or was this evolved? How did that come to be? your attention well you know it's interesting when I was um it was after Jimmy had died um so I was probably like 10 11 12 and that mm-hmm. age range and Monica had come to our house and she had a lot of Jimmy's handwritten lyrics and mm-hmm. of course my dad prior to then had saved all of Jimmy's drawings from the time mm-hmm. he was young in a box and so I was always looking through those because they were just amazing to me some of them were very beautiful, like in calligraphy, and then some were very colorful, and then there was like black and white cartoons, and um, there was just an array of his talent, you know, some some things were done in 
watercolor or in real paint. And mm. so when Monica brought these handwritten lyrics, I was like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. I remember saying as a young child, you know, these should all be in a book where people can see mm. and learn mm -hmm. them because the writing itself was so artistic and the mm -hmm. lyrics, like, sometimes you can hear a song and you're like, what did he say? Like, what was that? Mm. You know, even mm. now when we're in the studio, Eddie does that. He'll be like, what did he say? You know, because we're <laughs> working on, you know, new tapes and, uh, or not new tapes, but tapes that we've just located. And right. um, he'll be talking in the studio and he's like, what that back again? What did he say? You know, cause, and then you kind of slow it down because sometimes you don't catch it. And so to be able to read his words on paper and something about, which I think has become a lost art these days, is pen to paper. You know, we're so used to using electronics and talking into the phone and texting and being able to record, but something about that personal connection of pen to paper writing a part of your soul onto this piece of paper, you know, like love letters or like a letter to grandma. Um, years ago, we did an exhibit at EMP where it was kind of a, a chain of letters, basically. It was um, letters from Jimmy to Grandma when he was nine, and he had little drawings of, like, her rocking chair and Mr. whoever the caller was at that time, because my grandfather had died. She's a widow, and she never remarried, but she did have a lot of male callers, and so it would be like, you know, Mr. Red's car and he had all these little drawings and I can't wait grandma until we go on a picnic again and have a lot of fun blah 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 and then you've got another letter of course from grandma to Jimmy telling him to be good you know do well in school and all that and then as years pass and it's like my dad goes on to the service or actually I'm, I'm sorry actually backs up before then but my dad's in the service and he's coming home to get Jimmy and so there's letters back and forth from him to grandma that, you know, I'm, go, I'm out now, I'm going to go get my son. And mm. so just, you know, those letters, because back then there were no cell phones. There were no mm. phones that you could call home overseas. It was too expensive. And so mm. how did you correspond? You corresponded with letters. And these are like letters to us. There's, they're lyrics, they're his heart, they're his soul, they're his experiences, they're his imagination. Um, those songs reflect and represent what he wanted to give us as a gift. And mm. I used to always say that he wrote 110 songs. Well, now we've unearthed so many more. Um, I think the last count is like 210. Um, it's amazing how much he did in such a short period of time, in four years. In four years, he's 27 mm. years old, which mm. I have a kid older than that now. You know, it's like he's 27 years old, and he's so gifted. He's a prophet. I really feel like the message, the message of love, the mm. soul, all those songs are, are lyrics to give us guidelines mm. to live by mm. beyond what he could even understand at 27, you know? Mm. People say maybe he's been here before. Maybe he had. I don't know. He's very, very wise. And he was just such a sweet and pure soul to be around. And you recognize that when you're around him.
just jamming, that's all. You can leave or you can clap.
Thank you. and you're listening to WBKM, where you can hear the music of Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records was started and guided through the years by my late husband, Ahmed Erdogan. Before we go any further, I'd like to say, man, y'all really had a lot of patience. Three days worth. You proved to the world what can happen. A little bit of love and understanding in sound. Oh, I left my girlfriend at home, I'm sorry. Anyway, we'd like to say, man, we really appreciate y'all having patience with us. Because this really, really is nerve-wracking, man. That's why we waited to the sun up. And maybe the new day might give us a chance. Uh, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. Sky Church is still here, as you can see. We're going to do this song dedicated to maybe a soldier in the army singing about his old lady that he dreams about and hugging a machine gun instead. Or it could be a cat, maybe, trying to fall in love with a girl, maybe, but a little bit too scared. That's where the problems come from sometimes, isn't it? 
I mean, they can't really insecure a little bit, so they call girls groupies, and they call girls this, and they call passive people hippies, and blah, blah, woof, woof, on down the line. That's because they fucking not in love, man. That's what's happening. That's the other half of a man as a woman, and uh, we like to play thing called Isabella, and don't you ever forget it. Y'all are hard-headed. <laughs>
Let's do this next song. Let's say what next song do we know? memory of Ahmet Erdogan in the days when Atlantic Records was the most magnificent record company on the planet. Good night. Burlington's Kind of Music on WBKM.